Grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 today. Uh, Today we have the honor of ordaining a deacon, Brother Terry Dent, amen? A brother that I have gotten an opportunity to know for the last six years brother that I've seen grow in the grace and knowledge of God, a brother who loves Jesus, a brother who loves Jesus. Acts chapter 6 is one of the foundational chapters when it comes to talking and speaking about deacons. So I want to lay that, that groundwork for us today as a church so that Lord willing, after today as a church, when we hear the word deacon we will be able to be on one accord. And we'll know what it means to be a deacon, what God expects. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. This is God's word that we hold in our hands. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nacanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You may be seated. Extreme Makeover Home Edition is probably the most kind-hearted television show uh, that there is. Ty Pennington and his crew, uh, they select a family that has recently been in distress and that is known throughout the community for being noble. And, And what they do, they select this family or they select these persons and they go in and they give this family an extreme makeover. They look at their housing situation and either they build them a house from scratch or they renovate and approve what was already built. The climax of the show is when the family pulls up to their renovated or their new home and they are separated by a gigantic bus. The whole community is behind the family and they eagerly await for that bus to be moved. Now they know that the last time they saw that house, it was disordered. The last time they saw that house, it it was It was falling apart, but they expect that after this team has come in, that order would be established. And they are anticipating to see what this crew has done. With one shout, the family or the persons, along with the community, they shout to the bus driver. They say, move this bus. And the big bus is moved. And right before them is their new home which was given to them as a result of kindness. Ty Pennington and his crew came in, stepped into a situation of disorder, of discouragement, and they brought order and encouragement by using their God-given gifts and doing what they love to do, building and rebuilding to help people. You know, some time ago, about four years ago, by God's grace, Uh, we had some deacons that stepped up like this crew. 
They came and they saw what Forest Baptist was. We were in a transition. And they did what the Bible requires of them to do. They were faithful. And by God's grace, those deacons brought order and encouragement to Forest Baptist Church. They stepped into a situation, and rather than being overwhelmed, and rather than than punking out, they stepped up like men. They acted like men. And they said, this is what we need to do as a church to move forward. Now, the proverb said, Proverbs 3.27 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it. And up until this point, I don't believe that I've ever Ask these men to stand. If I can ask those men who were here during that time, that transition to stand. Deacon Carter, Deacon Pollard, Deacon Dobbins is in the back. Brother Todd is, is, is somewhere, amen, <laughs> taking care of business, amen. There he is, amen, right on cue, amen. Let us stand and honor these men for stepping up and being used by God. And Minister Maceo, who is now a pastor at the church, was a deacon at the time. Amen? We praise God for you all. Because the Lord used you to step into this situation and to bring order, to bring peace. These men are about kingdom business. And when we see men who are about kingdom business, we should not withhold honor from from them. Because only the Spirit of God can make someone be about kingdom business. And I praise God for you all. When we look at today's text, we see a, a similar situation. We see that there's a group in the church who's crying out, who's yelling out, we need an extreme makeover. We need some help. Some things aren't quite going the way we think they should be going. And that's what we see in verse 1. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we see uh, the Bible says that there was a group that was called the Hellenists. And who were the Hellenists? The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. Their families probably were dispersed, and they were not living uh, in Jerusalem, probably outside of Jerusalem for some time. And they grew up, instead of speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, they grew up speaking Greek. And then we see in this group that they are complaining because they're saying that their widows, the women in their congregations, who were not married, that they they were not being treated the same as the Hebrews. So it says that they are complaining to the apostles because they feel like uh, some discrimination is going on. And as we look at verse 1, we want to see a couple of things. Number one, we want to see that the early church, that they were striving to have God's heart. And they were striving to love the weak. The Bible says that they were taking care of some widows. They just weren't taking care of all of the widows. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 46, we see a phenomenal picture. We see the church coming together to read, to pray, to study the word, to fellowship, and to eat. And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord was amongst them so heavily that they began to put their wealth together, their money together, to make sure that no one was without lack. See, they saw and they knew the heart of God. Just because they became Christian, uh, uh, it didn't mean that they were going to do away with what God taught in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament throughout, we see that God is constantly teaching Israel and the Jews, and he puts it in the law to make sure that you take care of widows. Make sure you take care of orphans. Why? Because God cares about the broken. God cares about people who don't have. God cares about people who have, are, are underprivileged. He cares about all people, no matter what your social status is. But he wants justice to reign. And it should most reign through his people. In James chapter 1, we read that James says, listen, this is true religion. 
True religion is to take care of orphans. And true religion is to, is to take care of widows. See, a widow back then really uh, didn't have much because women, uh, most of the time, they didn't own land. So they had absolutely nothing. If their husband died and if they didn't have a son, uh, many times they would be left without. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, we see Paul, and you go home and read it, he, puts a, a, he devotes most of that chapter to talking about how the church should be taking care of widows. Because God has a heart for the widows. And the early church wanted to show that they wanted to model their ministry, their movement, out of the heart of God. But we also see something else, that the early church was imperfect. The early church was imperfect. Sometimes we romanticize the early church, and we talk as if the early church wasn't made up of human beings that fell short of God's glory. No, when we read the New Testament, when we read the epistles, we see that the church has always struggled to be perfect because the church is made up of imperfect people. But that's the beauty of the church. It's that God is using imperfect people to proclaim a perfect gospel. And these imperfect people, if they have been redeemed, renewed, and regenerated by God, are not settling and not satisfied with their imperfections, but they are striving, they are pressing towards the mark to grow under the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see disorder. We see discrimination happening in a church. The Hellenists say, listen, you all are neglecting us. Discrimination. They say that the most segregated hour of the week is the church hour in America. That 11 to 1 hour. And there's a whole lot of things that we can say about that, but I just want to say it didn't start in 19, in 18, in the 1800s, the late 1800s. And it didn't start during the Jim Crow days. It was there from the beginning. Why? Because people are imperfect and people are sinners. But praise God that God loves his bride, that God loves the church too much to have us look like the world. And where there is imperfection in his bride, he is going to reveal it and raise up people to challenge it. And that's exactly what we see happening in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 2, where there was a complaint, where there was some discrimination. God raised up some men to say, well, wait a minute. We need to do something about this. God is the type of God that steps into our mess and brings order. God is the type of God that steps into our brokenness and brings healing. God is the type of God who who steps into our homes and brings perspective. And if you're here today and and you're in a messy situation and your life is falling apart, I want you to see that God doesn't want you to stay that way. And that if you trust him and if you give him your heart and surrender your will, that he will step into your situation and he can give you an extreme makeover. Verse 2, we read, And the twelve summoned a number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, to serve tables. So I say that this is the calling of deacons. Deacons are called out in this chapter. But the word deacon in most English translations does not appear in this this pericope, in this passage. So if you're looking for the word deacon and say, okay, where does it say he, he called out deacons? You won't see it. But instead, what you will see is the word serve in verse two. It says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That word serve in the Greek is literally the word deacon or dikaianos, where we get the word deacon from. So literally it says, it says uh, that we should not give up preaching the word to deacon tables, to deacon tables. The word deacon simply means a servant. In some references and in some situations, we use the word minister. So he is saying that they need to find some people who will serve, who will deacon tables, who will be spiritual waiters of sort. Now, in verse one and verse two, I think that we can find three 
A threefold duty of deacons. A threefold duty of deacons. When we hear the word deacon, what should we expect from them? What's their duty? What's their call? I think it's a threefold call. The first thing that we should see is that they are called to model service and organize care for the flock. They are called to model service and organize care for the flock. And the first few verses we see this crisis, we see this extreme uh, need of a makeover, and we see the apostle saying we need to, to, to pick out some men who, are, who is able to serve the church, who's able to care for the church. They are supposed to step in a situation and meet the needs of the Hellenists. Meet the needs of the Hellenists. Now, they only picked out seven. And the early church at least had 3,000 that were in the body of Christ at this time, according to Acts chapter 2, at least 3,000. The Bible says that the church was increasing, so it was growing. So these men would not have been able to wait to serve literally 3,000. But I think what they were supposed to do was they were supposed to step in this situation, serve when they could, but organize the care of these widows. That's the threefold call of a deacon, the first, fold, the first part of the threefold call. The second thing is they're called to protect the flock from disunity. They're called to protect the flock from disunity. Listen, these men were about to step into a hostile situation, a situation uh, that was really a, 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 a big cultural issue. They were going to step in and bring order and bring unity. So when you see a deacon, not only are they supposed to serve and, and organize care, but a deacon should be able to step into a situation and bring unity. Bring unity. And God cares about the unity of the church. In fact, at any given time, we are either building up the church or tearing it down. And if we're tearing it down, then we are being carnal. And that's evil. So not only is it the role of the deacons to bring unity and to serve, but it's really the role of every Christian to bring unity and to serve. The bride, the bride of Christ is what we call it. The bride of Christ is what the scriptures call the church. You know, I, I, I don't allow anyone to talk about my wife to my face. And if they're talking about my wife, even behind my back, we're going to have some issues. All right? Now, I'm not going to do anything. Well, I might. <laughs> don't get it twisted. <laughs> Chicago might come out, all right? Why? Because that's my boo, that's my bride, that's my rib, that's my sweet thing, right? Well, the church is Jesus' sweet thing. It's his bride. And we're called, Paul says, we're called to build up one another, to encourage one another, not to tear down. And even when there is an opportunity for disunity, we're still called to, to seek unity. This word, if we really want to get into it in Greek, is a very negative word, the word complain. It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 3 when he tells us to not complain about anything. So even the Hellenists in this situation are complaining in a way that they shouldn't have. Rather than, than coming in a, in a positive and saying, listen, this is the issue, they were a little aggressive. It's the same type of word that's used when we uh, talk about uh, uh, Israel being in the wilderness and how they grumbled against Moses. So deacons are to make sure that people, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of situations that aren't good, that we're still seeking to build unity and to grow. Third, I want to stay on this for a second. The third duty of a deacon is to guard their pastor's word and prayer ministry to guard their pastor's word and prayer ministry. Verse 2 says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. A pastor, a shepherd, a, a, a preacher of the gospel that has been called out from, from a church to represent the church has a word and prayer ministry. Their job is to lead, is to feed, and is to care for the flock of God. 
And the apostles here, even though they are not work, uh, operating as elders at the moment, but they're operating as apostles, their role, they're saying, listen, we should not have to stop studying and seeking the face of the Lord to serve tables, to make sure that these widows are being fed. They're saying our job is to hear from God, to be in tune with God, so that we can give you a fresh word, so that the body will be encouraged, and so that we can pray and seek his face. That's what deacons are supposed to do, to serve and to care, to protect and to free up pastors for their word and prayer ministries. The word and prayer ministries. I am thankful for the deacons at this church who do that and who take deaconing serious. That these men have stepped up to the plate and that they continue to encourage uh, the pastors here at Forest to stay committed to the preaching and teaching of God's word. But as I look at the body of Christ, I see that there is a, a lack of deacons, a lack of men throughout the churches who are stepping up and who are serving and caring for the body and who are freeing up their pastors to preach and to pray. In fact, I want to read something that was published in the New York Times in 2010, speaking of of pastors. This is what it says, a very stimulating article. The title of the article is Taking a Break from the Lord's Work, and here's an an excerpt. The findings have surfaced with ominous regularity over the last few years and with little notice. That members of the clergy now suffer from obesity, hypertension, and depression at rates higher than most Americans. In the last decade, their use of antidepressants has risen, while their life expectancy has fallen. And many would change jobs if they could. Public health experts who have led the studies caution that there is no simple explanation of why so many members of a profession once associated with rosy-cheeked longevity have become so unhealthy and so unhappy. It's New York Times published that. Speaking of pastors, and I think the reason why is because we have lost the meaning of a deacon. And we expect from preachers, from pastors, what the Bible don't expect from. And we have said the pastor is supposed to be everything in the community. He's supposed to put out every fire. He's supposed to counsel everyone. He's supposed to do everything. And then on Sunday morning, pastor, we want you to preach a word from on high. Listen to these staggering statistics that were taken from a a gentleman uh, from a blog And uh, it's it's just staggering when we read these statistics. And I'll give you the exact name of the blog, and and you can look it up. Uh, This was uh, these these statistics were uh, were done after a survey was taken of pastors. I'm going to give you the website where you can go to or tell you how to get to. It's called Death by Ministry, and it's by Eugene Cho. Death by Ministry, Eugene Cho. You can Google it. And you'll see more. I just picked out a few statistics. I didn't even pick out the worst because I didn't want us to be too discouraged. But this was a major survey that was done of pastors. And this is what they said. 80% of pastors say that they have insufficient time with spouse and that ministry has a negative effect on their family. 80%. Next. Pastors who work fewer than 50 hours a week are 35% more likely to be terminated. Next one. 40% of pastors consider leaving the pastorate in the past few months. 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living. 70% of pastors Constantly fight depression. Staggering. Now, 
We could throw out other numbers. 80% of seminary students who walk into the pastorate will leave for good after five years. 56% of pastor wives say they have no close friends in the church. So what's going on here? I think a number of things are going on. Number one, pastors are human. Number two, pastors are sinful. Many pastors have a savior complex. They feel like they have to be involved in everything and do everything. Number three, there is intense spiritual warfare against those who are leading the church. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12 through 13. If you don't believe that there are demons and that Satan is after the men of God, then you have got to wake up and come to reality. But there are some other reasons. I believe another reason is because we have forgot about Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 12, which says that a pastor's job is to train up, to train up the body for the work of ministry. In other words, every single person who walks through the door of the church is a minister. Every single person who walks through the door of the church is supposed to be walking through with an intent to grow in order that they can minister to others. Everybody in the church has been called. So when you ask me, Pastor, how's the ministry going? Don't be uh, shocked if I turn it on you and say, how's your ministry going? Who are you preaching to? Who are you witnessing to? Don't get it twisted, amen? I'm going to ask my deacons to stand up, but I need five volunteers really quick. Five volunteers, deacons, if you guys can stand uh, and come down to the middle. Pastors, if you all can stand as well. I need five volunteers. Deacons are strong men, men who have been anointed and who have been called out by God. Deacons, if you can come in front of me. My five volunteers, if you all can take a quick step back. How many volunteers we have? Uh-oh. The work of their ministry. Amen. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. No, I'm just joking. Just joking. Amen. <laughs> all right. So this is a picture of what the church should look like. All right? Now, I would say that deacons, their, their role is, is similar to an offensive line, but that's a bad analogy because they are not necessarily protecting the pastor from the sheep. That's not what they're doing. But in some sense, what they're doing, as I said, they are freeing up pastors, they are freeing up ministers of the gospel to study the word of God. So when things are coming up in the church and when people have needs, when people have concerns, these men are the, the first to respond. They're first responders. So if my brother says this is an issue that's going on, the deacon, a deacon can step up and help. If this person says this is what's going on in our group and this is what's going on in my life, a deacon can help up and serve. Somebody has a complaint and they say something's wrong in the kitchen. A deacon can help up and serve. Somebody has a complaint and they say pastor's preaching too long. A deacon, did I run out of deacons? We need more men. But this is what often happens. And not in, not in this church, but this is what often happens. Now, we do need more deacons in this church. With a church of 300, 350 people, four deacons ain't going to cut it. Amen. But this is what often happens in many churches, in many situations. Deacons, if y'all can step forward. Brothers, if y'all can come up. It's the pastors are dealing with all of these needs, all of these cares. And where they should be in their study, praying, getting a word from the Lord coming together to strategize and see what's the next move for the church. They're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. Have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give it up for these men. Amen. So many pastors are burnt out. The complexity of the 21st century even adds to that. And we as a church, we want to be aware of that. Deacons are important and viable in the body of Christ. Now, what's the result of having men who can step up and who can care for the congregation, who can serve them, and who can free up the pastors? Let's look at verse 7. What's the result? Verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, 
and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's not run over there real quick. Look at what happened. Because there are men stepping up who are being pioneers, who are running to the action, who are being about God's kingdom and God's business. It says the word of God is going forth. It's increasing. And the numbers of the disciples, they multiply. Now remember, first the church was increasing. But by, by, by verse 7, it's multiplying. Why? Because God's word is going forth unhindered. And not only is it multiplying, look at the type of people that's coming to the Lord. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These are Jewish priests who were in the synagogue, who had formerly denied Jesus. These are the most learned in Israel. The most sold out are coming to Jesus. When God raises up men to step in and to care about his bride, to step in and to serve and free up pastors, we will see people come to Jesus that we never expected to come to Jesus. Because God's word is unhindered. God's word is unhindered. I want you to see deacons as what God wants you to see them as. As what God wants me to see them as. We must see our deacons as a picture of God's care for the church. When you see your deacons or when you see a deacon who is is sold out for the Lord, you should see them and say, wow, this person represents God's love for me. This person represents God's care for me. God anointed this brother. God saved this brother. God called this brother because he cares about me. God raised up these brothers to to serve me and to make sure that my needs are being met. They are a walking billboard of God's love. A walking billboard of God's love. Imperfect, but they're a walking billboard. Sinners. But they're a walking billboard. Broken, but they're a walking billboard. Why? Because they have made themselves available to the Lord. They are gifts to the church, according to Ephesians chapter 4 as well. Let's talk about the deacon's qualifications and reputation. Verse 3, the deacon's qualification and reputation. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So he talks to the church, he calls them all together. It's probably the Hellenist that he's calling together, and he's saying, okay, we need, to, we need to handle this. What you need to do is we need to select seven men who are full of good repute, who are spirit-led, and who have wisdom, and who have wisdom. You know, uh, I try to support, and I do support when I can, uh, when, it's, when I'm able, when the ratings are right. I try to support black films, you know, uh, black films I try to support, uh, I try, but I'll be honest, the last three or four films that I've seen that's been uh, predominantly uh, produced and written by African Americans, uh, have, they have just made a mockery of pastors and deacons, y'all know I'm telling the truth, and those films, the deacon is always creeping, why the deacon always got to be creeping? The pastor always got that 1970 Jerry Curl and begging for money, you know? Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Last movie, me and my wife saw a black film. The deacon was creeping. I'm like, why the deacon got to be creeping? God ain't called deacons to creep. The apostles didn't say, let's pick out seven guys who can speak well and whose players on the side. Deacons shacking. God ain't called shacking deacons. And he ain't called pastors to be homonglers and players. But you know, as a church, that's what we expect. Because we have lowered our standards. But when the Spirit of God is working in somebody, We can go against the culture. When the Spirit of God regenerates a person, they can meet the qualifications that God has placed on them. So the first thing he says is they must be of good repute. 
Good reputation. First Timothy chapter three, verse eight through 12. Let's go there. So the next time you're talking to your cousin, little nuke nuke, little baby, no, or the next time you're talking to a family member and they're saying, hey, I'm about to be ordained as a deacon and you know they creeping and you know they shacking. You don't, you don't got to give them a long story and you don't have to preach to them. Just be like, when you get a chance, can you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 12 for me? And let's see what that says. Likewise, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Look at that. Dignified. Not going around and doing rumors. Not, not getting drunk. Not greedy for dishonesty. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I mean, they believe the Bible. They believe that God can do what it says he can do. They believe that God can work through them. They believe that Jesus is more than enough. That he satisfies. That they're saved not by their works, but by his grace, they believe that God is one day going to make all things new. Verse 10, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. If they prove themselves blameless. So it says let them be tested. So with Brother Dent, for the last year, he's been tested. He's met with all the deacons. We give him a hard time. Uh, We had a little... (laughs) We, we searched his life. We, we talked about it with him about heart issues. He's read books. We, we drilled him. Must be tested first. Nowadays, people are appointed deacons uh, just because they're uh, a little above average in the church. That's the standard. He comes to Sunday school. <laughs> Let's make him a deacon. Came to church two Sundays in a row. What does it mean to be blameless? It doesn't mean to be perfect. None of us are perfect. I am not perfect. That's why I don't want a reality TV show, amen? But to be blameless means to be without scandal. It means that when when he stands up in the church that people aren't whispering because they've got dirt on them. Deacons can have bad days. They don't have bad years. A pastor can have bad days, but he shouldn't be having a bad year. That's what it means to be blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Faithful in all things. So then he brings their wives in. Why? Because the husbands are the extreme makeover, spiritual addition. They are constantly stepping into messy situations. They are sold out to their family, but also to the mission of the church. And their wives must be spiritually mature and okay with that. Their wives, he says, they're not slanders, they're not keeping up drama. They're clear thinkers and they're faithful. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. So no creeping deacons. Managing their children and their household well, meaning that they are a good steward of what God has given them. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Those who are doing what they're supposed to do, people can look to them with a good conscience. Not only are they of good repute, but the Bible says they're full of the Spirit. There is evidence that they have been saved. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in our heart, he, he regenerates us, he, he gives us a heart that accepts the faith, so every believer has the Spirit. But throughout the book of Acts, as well as the, the New Testament, we see this phrase, full of the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? People who are filled with the Spirit are people who have surrendered every area of their life to Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're perfect, we're not perfect. But it means that we are willing to let Jesus control every area of their lives, every area of the home. So Jesus controls the living room, the basement, and the bedroom. Huh? 
And then the Spirit is, is operating, is, is working on the inside. And that's evident because now there's not, there's not anything uh, constantly grieving the Spirit. The Spirit is working and talking to them regularly. Regularly. They're full of the Spirit. I'll tell you, people who try to deacon without being full of the Spirit, they make a wreck. Because the only way that you will be in full-time ministry is if you're full of the Spirit. They're full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. What does it mean to be full of wisdom? Let's go to James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, and then we're almost through. James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Now, it's two types of wisdom. It's the world's wisdom, and then it's God's wisdom. So, you guys heard of that OG wisdom? There's a difference between the OG wisdom and God's word wisdom. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That barbershop wisdom, right? Hey, brother, if I was you, I'd tell her, this is what you got to do, right? <laughs> it's that OG wisdom, right? That's not the wisdom I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's wisdom. Here's the difference. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So deacons aren't people who are politicking, who have bitter hearts, and who are selfishly living their life. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be what? Disorder and every what? Vile practice. That's the world's wisdom. But this is the wisdom from above. This is the wisdom that God gives us, that God gives everyone who looks to his son in faith, who looks to Calvary for salvation, who believes in the resurrected Jesus, who allows God to make them into what he wants them to be made to. We're not made there overnight. It's a lifetime process. But this is the wisdom that we walk more into. But the wisdom from above is not cussing out everybody. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, is pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A deacon is a person who should be peaceful when you step into their presence, though not every single time, but the majority of the time you sense God's love and God's presence. But that's not just a deacon. That's everyone. Here's God's challenge to us today. God's challenge to you. Number one, be one. Be one. What is that? What are you talking about, brother? Be one. Be one. God's challenge to you. Number one, be one. Be one. Remember earlier I told you about the usage of the word deacon and how it was used throughout the New Testament to mean serve. Every single person in this room who has been born again by God is called, in, in one sense, to be a deacon. Every single person in this room, in one sense, is called to serve to care. Matthew chapter 23 verse 11 says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. That word literally is your deacon. John chapter 12 verse 26, if anyone deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my deacon be also. If anyone deacons me, the father will honor him. Every person who is called by God and who has been given the spirit of God should be walking in a sense in the role of a deacon and wanting to grow in being a deacon. Why? What motivates us to be deacons? What motivates us to be each other's servants? And how do we get there? Do we get there just by making up our mind to do it and by leaving here saying, I'm going to serve everybody, I'm going to serve everybody? No, you'll fail three or four days tops. Ten if you're real good, like Minister Maceo. No. What motivates us and what gives us a heart of a servant is by looking at the first true deacon, who is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate servant. 
Jesus in some ways fulfilled the role of a deacon. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. When we look to Jesus and when we realize all that he's done for us, when we realize that the God of this universe sent his only Son into the world to serve us, when we look at his example and how he lived 33 years on this earth, so that we can have life. When we looked at how he walked the Via Della Rosa, the road of sorrow, and took nails in his arms and, and, and piercings and beatings and was lifted high so that you and I can have a, a chance at eternal life, it should humble us to say, Jesus served me. And I want to serve others so that they would know him. Brothers, We need men, men who are enamored with this picture of Jesus, men who look to Jesus more than Jeezy, men who are seeking and striving through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did to be holy and play less halo. Men who stand up, And who say the wisdom of this world is selfish, deceitful, ignorant, angry, disrespectful. And this is not the way life was supposed to be. Men who look to God and say, God, make me to be who you want me to be. Because I know that there's more to life than this. And I'm not talking about a Benz or a Bentley or or fame or claim. I'm talking about being filled with the one true living God. And being about his mission. We need men who who aren't afraid to be a warrior for the Lord. Who aren't afraid to guard and to battle for truth. The only way we're going to do that is if we look to Jesus. Be one. Raise one. Second challenge. Be a deacon. (laughs) Raise a deacon. Raise a deacon. Raise a servant. And how do you do that? Parents, we we do that by surrendering our life to Jesus, by looking to what he's done for us, by realizing that we will fail and we will fall short, but he has never failed and he will never fall short. And that he can empower us to be by, by leading by example in the home. You know, I'm so proud of Forest Baptist because uh, through the last few weeks and the last month, we've challenged parents to step up and to raise servants. We challenged them to, to put their kids into this winter retreat, as well as to this KAA, this, this summer retreat. And by God's grace, we've had a number of parents who stepped up and who said, I want to do everything that I can to make sure that my son, that my daughter, knows who Jesus is. That's what I'm talking about. See, as parents, a lot of times we focus on what our children, what, what we want our children to be. And we can tell what you want your child to be by looking at what you're investing their time in. Little Johnny is in peewee football, peewee basketball, peewee hockey, peewee swimming. Let me break it down to you. Little Johnny might be okay at one of those sports, but he's not going to excel at them all. What do you want your child to be? Oh, I want to groom my child and give them the best education so they can be a doctor or a lawyer. And you can raise a doctor and a lawyer that misses heaven and goes to hell. As the body of Christ, we don't want to say, what do we want our children to be first? But we need to start saying, who do we want our children to be? And the only way our children can be people who are not jealous and not bitter and not angry and not devious, is if we make sure that they are exposed to the good news of Jesus and the power of God. Be one. Raise one. As a church, we want to raise up men. Next April, we are starting, the pastors and I, we've been working to start a, a men's institute. A men's institute that raises up men. So when a young man turns 13 at Forest Baptist Church, they will sit in a class and they will learn with other men what it means to be a man. 
our community, the, the world is jacked up because the state of manhood is jacked up. And Satan knows it. And that's why he's targeting and throwing everything he can at men. Men can't watch TV without being bombarded with lustful ads, alcohol, a distorted picture of what a man is. Man is macho, three or four women, nice cars, James Bond, 007. <laughs> Lil Weezy is raising our men. It's time for the church to stand up. And for us to say, no, we are going to reclaim the church by reclaiming men. And we're going to reclaim the community by God's grace by reclaiming men. So we're going to start an institute. Be one. Raise one. And lastly, point out one. This text says that these men, uh, the apostles asked them to be snitches. He said, I need y'all to snitch on some men who are good repute, who are full of the Spirit, and who are wise. It's the church's job to point out men who's like that. It's the church's job to raise them. And who knows what God can do? The next chapter, we see God raised up a deacon. The next chapter, that deacon became an evangelist. The first martyr of the church. Because when you give your heart and your life to God, God will do more with it than you ever could imagine. He honors those whom honor him. Let's be one. Let's raise up one. Let's point out one. Imagine what this church could be if we had strong, a list of, of men who said, I don't want to be the next Bill Gates. I don't want to be the next whatever. I want to be a man who has a good reputation, who is full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Everyone in here should desire those qualities because it's a picture of Jesus. And we can praise God that if we belong to God, that he is going to give us those qualities as we serve and follow him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Father God, that you will help us to raise the standard of manhood. I pray, Father God, that you would help us, Lord, to see that your Holy Spirit is able to do exceedingly above and beyond anything we could ask or think. Help us to surrender every area of our life today to make you Lord of it because you, you can do something with it. Give us hope, oh God. Help us to look to your son and not to us, not to our own strength. Lord, I thank you for Brother Dent. And I pray that as we go throughout the service and as we lay hands upon him and ordain him, that you would bless him. In Jesus' name, amen.